Christ in Relationships is Dr. Joel Hunter's series, and he continues with his fourth message, Teaching Us. From the New American Standard, Dr. Hunter's text is taken from Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 35, and it reads as follows. And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emas, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were conversing with each other about all these things which had taken place. And it came about that while they were conversing and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stood still, looking sad. And one of them named Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem, and unaware of the things which have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, The things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him up to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. But also, some women among us amazed us. When they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body, they came saying that they had seen a vision of angels, who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things to enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. And they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though he would go farther. And they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it's getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. And he went in to stay with them, and it came about that when he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and breaking it, he began giving it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? And they arose that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them, saying, The Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. And they began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. And now, let's join Dr. Joel Hunter for his fourth message entitled, Teaching Us, as he continues in his series, Christ in Relationships. In this year of examining relationships and teaching in this particular section about how God in Christ forms our relationships for himself, today we want to talk about the emotional struggle that can come through intellectual frustration and how God can use that to teach us of his sovereignty, but how great a weight that puts upon our relationships while we are going through it if we're looking for answers in the wrong places. So we want to take note of the very sobering fact that we will go through some very, very difficult emotional and intellectual times. But we want to encourage people to stick with it. It's a long road, but it's worth it. 
Oh, Deb, our first gift. This is so nice of you. It's the least I could do. Oh, it's adorable. Oh, Greg's going to hate it. <laughs> the Bulls, our hometown. Oh, I fell in love with it the first moment I saw it. Can you believe that anything is this small? Oh, I just hope I know what to do with it once I get it. It! Him! I mean him! Oh, Deb, I can hardly believe this is happening. Oh, you have waited so long. Oh, it seems like a lifetime. And now, after everything that we've been through, our prayers are finally answered. If it had been me, I would have given up a long time ago. Oh, believe me, there are plenty of low moments, plenty of doubts, but I just had to force myself to keep thinking someday. That someday has finally come. Oh, Kathy, I'm so happy for you. Not only be because you're going to be having the baby, but you won't have to see any more of those doctors or agencies. <laughs> and it's a good thing, too. I mean, there's certainly nothing left of this body that hasn't been poked, probed, or stared at by at least 100 people. <laughs> After a while, I just quit asking their name and said, take me on the <laughs> And then finally you got that call. Oh, I was in shock. I stayed awake all night long just to make sure it wasn't a dream. And it's not. It's real. Deb, I just can't believe it. How can that husband of yours stay at work when in less than three hours he's going to be a father? I don't know, but I'm glad he's there and not here. Otherwise, we drive each other crazy. Oh. <laughs> Have you thought of a name for him? Uh-huh. Jason. Jason Carter. Hmm. Jason Carter. I like the sound of that. It sounds strong. I think so, too. Hi, everybody. Oh, hi, honey. I mean, Daddy. <laughs> I just couldn't stay at work, huh? No. Congratulations, Greg. I just can't tell you how happy I am for both of you. Oh, thanks, Deb. Oh, look at what Deb got for little Jason. Isn't it cute? <laughs> Our own little Chicago bull? Yeah. Um, listen, Deb, if you don't mind, uh, I'd like to talk to Kathy about something. Oh, sure. I, I had to head home anyway. I think I've got a nervous father on my hands. What do you think? I think you're right. Oh, I'm so happy for both of you. I just don't know how to say it. Thanks, Deb. I'll see you tomorrow. You better believe it. Nothing in the world's going to keep me away. <laughs> okay. Bye. Bye, Deb. Isn't she such a good friend? Yeah, she's really special. Um, Kathy, can we sit down? There's something I'd like to talk to you about. Oh, my. This sounds serious. Hey, Kathy, it's about the baby. <laughs> Greg, I already know what you're going to say. I don't think you do. <laughs> Look, honey... I know that ever since we got the call, I've been thinking way too much about the baby, but that'll change. I promise. I'm not going to become one of these mothers whose whole life revolves around her kid. It's just, oh, it's all I can think about. I'm just so excited that our dream has finally come true. Kathy, our, our lawyer called me at work a little while ago. The girl decided to keep the baby. What? She changed her mind. But she can't do that. She signed the papers. She has three days after the birth to change her mind. But she can't do that. She promised. She can do it, and she did. Now, honey, you knew this was a possibility. Where's Taylor's number? A, a lawyer should be able to do something. I already asked him. There's nothing he can do. What do you mean you asked? You couldn't have, or else he'd be doing something. There's nothing he can do. It's already done. Now, honey, please. Greg, I don't believe this. We had this worked out. We had a baby. In less than three hours, he would be ours. He is ours. Well, there'll be other babies. Other babies? I don't want other babies. I want this one. Well, we can't have him, honey. I can't take this anymore. What does he want from us? Who? God, that's who. I don't think this is his fault. Well, whose fault is it then? He's the one I've been praying to for five years asking for a child, but does he give me one? No. 
My body remains sterile and all the agencies can tell me is I'm sorry, we just don't have anything for you. And now this, dangling a carrot in front of my face only to yank it away. Well, I can't take it anymore. Honey, leave me alone. What are you doing? I'm putting this away. We've got to take it back. How can you think about taking it back now? Kathy, what do you want me to think about? Our baby! We don't have a baby! Shut up! Just shut up! I don't want to hear it! I'm so tired of hearing it! Just calm down, please. I don't want to calm down! I'm angry! I hate that girl! I hate you! I hate me! I hate God! I hate everybody! I hate this! I hate this! How much longer does this have to go on? Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, O Lord, my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say I have overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. So what do you do when your dreams are crushed? Where is God when your dreams are crushed? What happens with your relationships? when you suffer such great disappointment with something you had so hoped for, but now it will never be. If you will turn with me to the 24th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, we will look at two more people who had their Hopes dashed, their dreams crushed, and had given up hope. Starting in verse 13. Behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus. This is the day on which Christ was resurrected, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were conversing with each other about all these things which had taken place. And I want to set this stage for you. What we're going to talk about today is the difference between people who have been given a very simple gift of faith, a very simple understanding of the world, and when these things happen, uh, they are some of the privileged few that can just say automatically, well, God's going to take care of this. I'm not going to worry about it, and they don't. But that's not where most of us are. Most of us, like the psalmist says, wrestle with our thoughts daily. When something like this happens, we, we go over and, and over and over and trying to fill in the details, trying to repeat the details, hoping something else will come out, something that we didn't understand. 
something that will make it clear to us and give us hope. And so that's what these two are doing today. These are two people who believed that Jesus would be the Messiah. And when he was crucified, they were absolutely Christ. Now they are reviewing all of the evidence. Verse 15, And it came about that while they were conversing and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. And he said to them, What are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stood still, looking sad. And one of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of these things which have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, The things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet mighty in deed, in word, in the sight of God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him up to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things have happened. And also some women amazed us, among us, amazed us when they were at the tomb early in the morning. And they did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who had said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women had said, but him they did not see. Now, here are two people who are struggling intellectually with the problem and spent emotionally looking feverishly for an answer, adding up all of the ingredients, all of the evidences, and so, so mixed up. I know in this sanctuary there are hundreds of you that are going through a problem in your life right now that just doesn't make sense. And you're trying to add it all up. And... You maybe have a friend who says, just give it to Jesus, you know? He'll take care of it. Don't worry about it. But you can't. You're not wired like that. And you feel somehow less because you haven't got that kind of simple faith. You feel like there's something missing in your life, but you've got to be honest with yourself. And how much of a struggle you're going through to understand this thing. Many, many, many people who are wired to be thorough intellectually wish that they weren't so wired. One of my favorite contemporary poets um, sees the depth of God in the things of nature, and he and it frustrates him sometimes. And he says, he, he writes this. He says, "The pond I see, I cannot comprehend. I can see through its top." but not to its end. The simple mystery of the wind makes me wish I was a child again. For ignorance is bliss when there is no gray. Black and white are as clear as day. Oh, to be God. Or simply dense. At least the world would make perfect sense. Oh, to be God, or simply dense, 
so that the world could make perfect sense. But what about those of us who are in between? Who struggle every day with great hopes that we had had that are now dashed? What about us that are walking on the road, complaining all the way, not realizing who's walking right beside? Not understanding as we cry out that He's there all along. You know, I had an experience one time where I was over at the Little League Ball Diamonds and and you watch your kids play and then you spend some time, you go over and watch your friend's kids play and you just kind of go around and and uh, you come back to that thing and and that's what I'd done. I'd watch the game and then I'd go around watching some other games and came back and stand beside a guy. He said, did you see that last game? And I, and I just started waxing eloquent about it. You know, say, yeah, this is what happened, this is what happened. And I, and I questioned a couple of calls that the umpire had made. Well, those of you with sermon outlines know where the story is going. He was the umpire. <laughs> and I hadn't realized it. And here I am telling him all about that game when he was not only there, but he determined the outcome. And that's exactly where these disciples were that day, telling Jesus not only about all of this stuff, but talking to the one who had determined the outcome. And they didn't realize it. Well, how did Jesus react? Let's, let's read the next verses. Look at these. And he said to them, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Now, I want you to read this rebuke in just the right way. Because this is a gentle rebuke. Jesus is not harsh here. He is not scolding. He is not engendering guilt. Look at verse 16 one more time. It says that he approached them and began traveling with them, but their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. Jesus himself had something to do with the fact that they couldn't recognize him yet. And so his gentle rebuke here is not one of scolding or guilt. It's one of, I want you to learn a lesson from this. Slow of heart to believe. He said, was it not necessary for the Christ, in Greek it's the Messiah, to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. You know, I wish I would have been there. I wish I could have seen Jesus. I bet he put his arms around him. And I bet as they were walking along, he said, boys, you know, whatever Hebrew is for boys. You know, Aramaic, you know. Boys. Do you remember your scriptures that you know and that you've learned? He knew their knowledge because he had heard them discussing. He knew they knew all the facts. I wish I could have heard him say, Do you remember Passover? You know what Passover is? Do you remember what that's all about? Do you understand that when our people had come out of Egypt, They celebrated that time that the lamb was slain and that his blood was spread on the doorposts. Do you remember why it was spread? 
that that angel of death then passed over the house of the children of God and did not take their children. No, everybody covered by the blood lived. Do you remember what John called Jesus? He would have called, he would have said to him. Do you remember when John said, Behold the Lamb of God? Do you not know that it takes blood to cover sin? Do you remember out in the desert when our people were out there? you remember what Aaron did after there was a sacrifice for the guilt? Do you remember how he went over and he put his hands on the head of a goat? And he imputed to that goat all of the sins. He named the sins of Israel. Confess the sins of our people. Do you remember what happened to the goat then? The goat was banished into the wilderness to wander off all alone, carrying our sins. Do you remember what happened with Jesus? That he was banished and stood all alone? I bet that day he put his arms around him and he said, Boys, do you remember what happened to our people in the wilderness? Do you remember that time that all the fiery serpents came and attacked our people? Do you remember that Moses interceded with God and said, Oh God, our people are sick and dying. Remember what God told him to do? Take one of those serpents and put it on a post. Raise up that post. And whoever looks upon that Host will live. That, by the way, is still our symbol of medicine. Serpent on a pole. I wonder if Jesus didn't say, what did you just see in the last three days? Raised up on a post. Whoever looks upon him will live. You know the Psalms, boys. You know the, the Psalms that predict the Messiah. You know Psalm 22.1, how it starts. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Do you remember what Jesus said on the cross? Do you think when he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me, that that was just a cry of pain? No, it was an announcement. He was the Messiah. He is the Messiah. Do you remember what Isaiah said? That he would be scourged? That the Messiah would be pierced? And he would be crushed? Do you remember what Jesus looked like when he carried the cross to Golgotha? He was crushed under his weight. Do you remember how God spoke through the prophet Zechariah? And he said, on that day, they will kill me. And the morning will be as for a firstborn son. Do you remember how Zechariah said, with the voice of the Lord and the shepherd will be struck and the sheep will scatter? That's where we find ourselves today, boys, walking along.
I wonder if when he put all of that evidence together, if when he connected all of those dots of Scripture that they didn't begin to see the picture of the Christ and how Jesus was the Christ. I don't know how they missed the holes in his feet. I don't know how they missed the tone of the voice that a few days before had commended his spirit unto God and gone home holding a thief by the hand. I don't know how they missed that. I don't know how I miss it. But he was there. And I can't help but think that as they put all of that together, they began to be different people inside, inside their head with their mind. Because I think the world would start to make sense to them in a way that it hadn't before. And Jesus would minister to them in a different way that he ministered to Mary. See, Mary was just emotionally erect. She just wanted a body. Give me a body, I'll go off with it. She ended up hugging him. But these needed to be led. I wonder if when he put all of this together, it didn't begin to dawn on him, on them, how much sense this really made. And how they could have missed all of this. All of these prophecies in the Old Testament fulfilled by Jesus, how could they have missed it? You know, there are 300 prophecies in the Old Testament. Jesus fulfilled every one of them. There are 48 major prophecies in the Old Testament. Somebody estimated one time what it would take for one life to fulfill just eight of those prophecies. Just eight. Through no means that he could manipulate on his own. And this mathematician, this statistician, came out with a formula that said the chances of fulfilling, any one person's fulfilling just eight of those prophecies is 1 in 10 to the 17th power. That's 10 with 17 zeros behind it. Illustrated in evidence demands a verdict, it's illustrated like this. Take the state of Texas, cover it 2 feet deep in silver dollars. Paint one of those silver dollars and put it in that pile somewhere. Blindfold someone and tell them to begin walking across the state of Texas and they can walk for days or months or years or hours or minutes, whatever they want to, but when they stop and plunge their hand down into that pile, they would pull out that marked silver dollar. That is exactly the chance that one person can fulfill even eight of those Old Testament scriptures. Jesus fulfilled every one of them. And so now they're standing there saying, how could we have missed it? And so must we. How can we miss him? But I want, you to, I want you to know something else was done that day. Jesus told them in no uncertain terms that this world is not put together by accident. And that what they are going through has not been lost on God and that it has been arranged by a God who is arranged for the outcome of the world. You see, that's very difficult for many people to believe in these days. Because we have given up thinking that there is such a thing as absolutes or objective truth. 
London says in the interpretation of culture, the postmodern mind has given up thinking that there is an underlying objective truth that applies to everyone. No, what the modern mind does, what the postmodern mind does, is say, whatever works, whatever is functional for me, I don't need objective truth, just give me something that works for a little while. And that's where we are. I read an article in yesterday's paper about a church that's growing, I think it was in Kentucky or Indiana or someplace. And I thought, well, that's great. And then I read this minister's theology, and the theology that was repeated in the paper was, yeah, it's me and my Jesus, or you and your Buddha, whatever works for you. And I thought, oh my goodness. Yeah, that is a picture of the theology of, of our world. We've given up thinking that God is weaving all this together into a picture that makes sense, but we can't give it up. Jesus tells us just the opposite. He says God is weaving it all together. And just because we don't see immediately what caused it, we can't give up that hope or the fact that someday we will see how it all fit together. You know, in physics, there has been this argument, this debate that went on for years about non-local causes the world of quantum physics said, you know, there are some things that we can't explain, the reaction of these things. So therefore, they concocted a theory that said that something is affecting this change that is not in this space zone and not even in this time zone. Niles Bohr, who was a quantum physicist, and Albert Einstein debated this. And Albert Einstein was so abhorred by the idea that something could be affected by something not in its space or in its time, that he began to try to devise experiments that would disprove it. Well, he couldn't. And so the debate raged for decades until 1982. A French physicist by the name of Aspect designed an experiment that proved beyond the shadow of a doubt that indeed non-local causes were existent, that effects can come from causes outside the space world of that particular thing and outside the historical context of that particular thing. In other words, physically, we can see today that the history and the construct of the world is completely woven together. And so there are those who would give up and say, it doesn't make sense, but the Bible would say, oh, yes, it does. Don't ever give up the hope that someday what you're going through right now will make a great deal of sense to you. Now, it may not come immediately, and for those of you who are going through it right now, it has not come yet. But I want you to know that the answer is there and that the only place you can get it is from God. You see, these two never would have figured it out on their own. They had all of the evidence, but the human intellect cannot possibly make the world make sense. It's only as we hear it in the written and the living Word of God. It's only as God reveals it to us that it does make sense. We've got to go to the Maker. We've got to go to the One who is weaving it together. Now, His timing 
to reveal that to us is according to what He's doing with our lives. You see, open up your scriptures one more time. Let's finish the passage. This verse 16, even more in Greek than in English, implies that God had something to do with hiding Jesus. He did not come down and reveal himself immediately and shortcut the intellectual process of searching for those answers. So therefore, when we are asking why, God will not automatically come down and say, well, I'm just going to reveal myself to you. Don't worry about those details. Don't, you don't have to think all that through. No. He made sure they thought it all through. But after he had shown them a theology of history, after he had shown them how the world had made sense, then look what happens. And they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though he would go farther. This is verse 28. And they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it is getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. And he went in to stay with them. And it came about that when he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and breaking it, he began giving it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. Now, I want you to see, that wasn't of them either. God had done that. God had hidden them, God had opened them. And so... This is God's activity. Their eyes were open. Jesus taught them, and then he revealed himself to them. And look at what it says. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, we're, I love this, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining scriptures to us? In other words, we knew this all along. I knew something was up. I just couldn't put my finger on it, but I just had this weird feeling. Did you have a weird feeling? I had this weird feeling. You know, you know, you're going through something and you just feel in your heart God's doing something here and you, you can't figure out what it is, you know. But you, there's something in your heart. Well, let me give you two encouragements. Number one, some of you are going through some things right now and you're not making spiritual progress. As a matter of fact, you may, you may even be feeling like you're going backwards from where you want to go. Your life is deteriorating. It's not getting better. And so, therefore, God's not in control. Let me tell you something. If you put yourself in the hand of God, His timing on this is perfect. And God can literally take you backwards before He takes you forwards. Some of you, some of you guys remember your first slingshot. Remember what a wonderful toy that is? Wonderful tool, wonderful weapon. But you know how that works. First, it goes away from the target before it goes to the target. Sometimes in your life, God will cause, for some reason, for you to go away from the target so that you will go straighter to the target. And I can only refer you to Romans 5, how he builds up perseverance and character and hope and faith because he's building up you. God's nearly... He's not nearly so interested in, in what you know objectively as to the kind of person you are to love him so that he can love. So, so there are reasons sometimes that you go backwards before you go forwards. But don't think that God's not in control because you happen to be going backwards a little while right now. And second, I want to give you a picture of the nature of God and the character of what he will give his children. I want you to know that someday, I know this is tough to believe, but I'm asking you to have faith. 
Have faith when you haven't got any cause for it. Other than just the Holy Spirit giving you faith and you're going you're gonna to receive it. I want you to know someday you're going to look back at this time in your life and say, you know, that was one of the best times with God I've ever had. Now, I know if you're going through it right now, that's tough to believe. But let me just give you an illustration. One time, there was a uh, an ad put into a paper, a vacation magazine, that claimed we can show you the most beautiful scenery in the entire world. And so, there was a couple who had enough money and had enough time, and they just... They, they took them up on it. They got on a big plane and they went clear across the ocean. They got on a little plane and then they got on another little plane, just one little, little engine Piper Cub. And, and they, they, they flew these people, they flew this couple deep into the heart of the jungle. I mean, they landed in just this little old airplane strip, nothing but grass, got out, it was sweltering hot. They started looking for the scenery right away. Nothing but bushes and trees. The guide met him, said, follow me. So they follow this guy straight into the jungle. He's got a machete. He's knocking down bushes. They're looking at each other like, what is the deal? I mean, they're looking, they can't see anything. But, well, every once in a while they see some flowers and stuff. They can't, I mean, everything's this far from their face. Bushes hitting them in the face. Half hour into the trip, they said, wait a minute. They said, we paid to see the most beautiful scenery in the world. The guy with the machete turns around. He looks at him and says, and you're wondering where that is, aren't you? They said, yeah. He said, well, if you will follow me, we have about another half hour walk through this jungle. And if you last through that, then I'm going to take you to climb a mountain. And if you last through that, you will turn around and you will see that right now you are standing in the middle of the most beautiful scenery in the world. Right now, I know it's tough to believe, but you're standing in the middle of the most beautiful scenery in the world. And if you follow God, you'll turn around and see that someday. Now, I know some of you are deep enough into this, you just wish you could find the guy with the machete. You know? <laughs> Just, get, you know, you keep going. You follow God. Our God is sovereign. He knows what He's doing. There's, there's not an accident in your life that God will not turn into beauty. There is not a heartache that you have, not an intellectual struggle that you have that God won't make a great deal of sense out of someday. We don't have an accidental God. We've got the God of the universe. Pray with me. God, thank you that those of us who have not been given simplicity have still been given hope. Thank you that our walk is not any less valuable just because it's less easy. Thank you that as we put our faith in you, you will show us eventually why you have given us the life that you have. Father, there may be some folks in here today who are still trying to make sense of it all on a human level, and they, 
They have heard today, and they understand it maybe for the first time, that they will never make sense of it on a human level. Because they can have as much evidence as they can accumulate, even read as much scripture as they can gather. And it still won't make sense unless it's you that's explaining it. So, Father, help them to turn to you today and say, God, I don't want to live apart from you. I I really do want to know why. And I'm not just searching for answers. I'm searching for a relationship because a relationship is the answer. So wash away my sins with your blood and come live in my heart and let me follow you. And for the rest of us, God, Help us to continue to follow you. We've missed the fact that you're with us often. I don't know how we have, but we have. Continue to remind us from time to time that we're in the middle of this scenery and that walking with you will give us the full view someday. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.